Hi there, Tyler Buckingham here, and I want to thank you for supporting Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. As part of our effort to improve our content and expand our audience, we'd love it if you could take 10 minutes and let us know more about you and how we can bring the best possible coastal content to you in the future. I promise it's quick and easy. Just go to coastalnewstoday.com to find the survey. Thank you so much. listening to Delta Dispatches, we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And it is finally feeling like fall, Simone. What is this crispness in the air? What is this? What is this strange feeling? <laughs> I know. Break out the gumbo and the, you know, the turtlenecks. It, it's almost, it's fall. So, Hey, you know, it's been a long summer. I'm sure it'll it'll warm up a little bit again, but we're certainly enjoying the cooler temps this morning and I hope you are as well. Yeah, I feel like this is um, the the weather gods giving back to all those meteorologists that that had some really really rough couple of weeks, right? So um, to to Margaret Orr and and to to Steve Capriati and all those folks, this is this is their payback for a couple of really as last week was rough, right? So um, you know, LA one was underwater for several days, and so uh, maybe this is the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, I mean, a few months ago when we interviewed Steve Caparata about the updated uh, Atlantic hurricane season forecast, and, you know, he said that the forecasters were saying it was going to be extremely active. I don't think anyone at, at, at that moment really thought how active it would end up being. But you're right. I mean, our meteorologists have helped us so much navigate through this time. And I have to, I do have to give a shout out to our friend Margaret, or you all may have not seen, but... Um, she was again named, uh, you know, the top meteorologist for Best of New Orleans. Um, uh, again, so congratulations to Margaret on that um, well-deserved um, recognition. I have to say, I, I was following Steve during the Saints game and uh, on Twitter, and I, I have to say, we were equally um, as disappointed by how that went went down. So. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, the weather might be improving, but I don't know about but Louis about Louisiana football. Oh, Jacques, don't don't be like that. It's gonna get better, maybe. <laughs> Thank goodness this isn't a sports show. <laughs> we'll stick to the to the easy topic of of coastal restoration. Uh, exactly. Yeah, we all There's- know it's an easy, right? Yeah, you don't want you don't want my commentary on sports. It can it can go south really quickly. But um, our, our producer Ryan would jump in and and separate us and and have his own opinion too. So right. that would be fun though. There would be some real time fact checking of, of, of my comments <laughs> for sure. Um, all right, well, you know, shifting gears a little bit. Um, it's hard to imagine. I mean, speaking of the active hurricane season, it's hard to imagine it's been about a month since Hurricane Laura. Uh, you know came ashore devastating so much of Southwest Louisiana. We've been keeping, you know, on top of, of what's happening there and really trying to highlight, you know, the ongoing needs of communities in Southwest Louisiana as they begin their long road to recovery. So we have on our website, you know, a resource that people can go to 
um, to, you know, help support those those communities and the people that have been impacted by Hurricane Laura. It's MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Laura Relief. But we wanted to talk to two people today who are, you know, in the thick of it, helping communities, helping the region recover, um, and can help provide us an update of where things stand uh, a month after Hurricane Laura. So I'd like to welcome to the show for the first time, um, Sarah Judson, who is president and CEO of the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so glad to be able to join you all today. Yes, thank you for joining. I know this must be a very busy time and it's been a busy month for sure. Um, Can you first tell us a little bit about, I mean, well, how are you doing? It's been... um, a little bit of a hectic year and we like to check in with our guests just to ask how they're doing and then to have Laura on top of this. So, so how are things going for you um, and, and the folks at the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana? Well, we, we are really doing well. Um, we are very fortunate that our Community Foundation um, has been affiliated since our inception with the Baton Rouge Area Foundation and also the North Shore Community Foundation on the North Shore of New Orleans. So because of that relationship, we were able to have tremendous support and continue to do so um, from them. So not only as we were working through COVID relief options with nonprofits in our region, but now as we work on the Hurricane Laura relief and recovery, having those partnerships across the state has been tremendously valuable and allowed us to be in a good place um, after these two, uh, you know, the pandemic and the storm, kind of the double whammy. Yeah, it certainly has been a double whammy. Um, You know, how, um, can you tell us a little bit about the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana? Some of our listeners may be um, familiar with BRAF or the Greater New Orleans Foundation, but tell us about the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana and the work you all do. Sure. Um, yeah, so we we are newer in the, uh, the world of community foundations. Um, ours was actually created in 2000 um, by our United Way. And Tom Morris, who was a longtime um, and, and well-loved and respected director of United Way, he had been in other cities and knew that a community foundation brought a different level of philanthropy to a region um, and was a really good uh, partner and complement to a United Way organization. And so he actually encouraged their board back in 2000 uh, to create a community foundation. And they did that on paper and tried to figure out how to manage that. And then ultimately in 2008, uh, they came to visit the Baton Rouge Area Foundation and, and John Davies and the board at the time had helped create the North Shore Community Foundation a year or so before. And they said, we we are happy to help. We want to support, you know, across South Louisiana. And so we became a supporting organization um, of the Baton Rouge Area Foundation. And um, I've been with the uh, Community Foundation since the end of 2013. So I wasn't a part of that original uh, planning and inception, but have been a part for a good number of years now. Yeah. So on that, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what what you did before the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana and really what brought you to the role that you're in now. Um, sure. It, it really was a, um, a journey that I didn't know I was on <laughs> to end up at a community foundation, but it's been a, a really wonderful fit um, for me, very fulfilling. And, um, and we, we have been able to grow our community foundation and, and have an even bigger positive impact. Uh, so I feel like it's a good fit. Um, I am born and raised in Lake Charles, um, went to college at Ole Miss. So kind of funny when y'all are talking football a few minutes ago. Um, and, uh, 
and then lived in D.C. for several years after college and worked for uh, our then senior Senator Bennett Johnston for several years. And then uh, also had experience working um, in healthcare, uh, both in marketing as well as organizational development. And then also worked for uh, Willie Mount when she was the mayor of Lake Charles. And uh, she actually now serves on our board at the Community Foundation. Um, but I think for me, the be, being born and raised in Southwest Louisiana, my family was always very active in the community. My father served in the legislature for many years. And so I really just grew up with being an active member of the community and being um, very supportive of volunteer opportunities and, and just being active in a lot of different ways. And so I think for me, my journey of being a part of public service you know, working on the Hill as well as in the mayor's office, um, growing up as a kid in the legislature, seeing how those kind of things work, and then um, being able to ultimately end up in this role as the leader for our community foundation. I think it's, it's really a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that, that all came together. And hopefully with the, the great need we have right now, um, I hope that all those pieces are really going to help us make a positive impact for the region. Absolutely. And I mean, it's such a, a fascinating background. And just to think of, you know, your your background in healthcare and policy and in the community, and it, it must seem like so many of those issues are coming to a head right now in this one year. So, I mean, you're probably, you know, the right person to be in the position you're in right now to help um, the, the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana and the, the broader region navigate through these kind of turbulent times of 2020. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, where things stand. I mean, like I said earlier in the show, it's hard to imagine a month has passed since Hurricane Laura. Of course, you know, while the national media, um, you know, cameras may have moved on quickly after the storm passed, we know the needs will be ongoing and, and, and great. So how are you and your neighbors holding up? Well, I think it really depends on um, on people's um, ability, uh, not only their financial abilities, but also really just individually and as a family of people's ability to juggle many things. Um, and so, if if people are adept at that and have a have a positive attitude and understand that that your normal routine is not happening anymore, at least not for the near term. Um, then those people are rolling with it. And whether or not you're staying with family or friends or you have internet or you don't or your power comes back and then it might have to be off for a day or two while they're updating the grid and then you can come back on. You know, if you, if you have the ability to look at these things and understand that they're temporary and you can move through them, uh, then I think those people are, are doing okay and, and see that there will, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. But um, the, the unfortunate part is the people that, that don't have that capacity um, and whether or not it's, again, financial or just that, that they're more easily overwhelmed, those are the places um, and people that are having challenges because there are um, just an overwhelming number of homes that are damaged. People, I, uh, a number I heard recently is that we still have about 16,000 people that are evacuated living in hotels, many in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, um, and that they, they either haven't been back home yet or don't have a place to go permanently. And so until those things are resolved, um, we'll still have a lot of people with a lot of challenges going on. 
Yeah, I mean, there's certainly no doubt going to be a need for for quite a while. And, you know, in, in seeing some of the images that were shared after Laura, and even to this day, I mean, you can have uh, a really overwhelming sense of, of the damage that caused. And I think one of the things that um, I get maybe it was a little different about this storm was there was just so much wind damage, um, maybe particularly kind of a Lake Charles area um, when you know, maybe people expect, expected more damage from storm surge and flooding, which was probably more on the, the Cameron and uh, Ver, Vermilion areas. So um, can you give us a sense of, of the damage that the region sustained? Uh, I think kind of being on the outside, you see images here and there, but it's hard to kind of piece together the full extent of, of what, um, what occurred. It, yes. Um, from, from my perspective and that, just when you drive around town and, and the first day that I went back, which was the, the storm was a Wednesday night and Thursday morning back of August 27th, I think was that Thursday. Um, and that following Wednesday was my first day to, um, to go to visit and see some nonprofits in action. And one of my uh, colleagues from the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, and then also um, Lori Bertman with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy and the Pennington Institute, she was with us as well. So the three of us uh, went and as you got to about Iway, Louisiana, um, which is about 10 minutes east of Lake Charles, you started seeing the billboards on the interstate just blown through. Uh, you started seeing barns and trailers blown wide open. And, and that was, you know, in eastern Calcasieu Parish. And then as you got into the city, um, you, you couldn't see any street that didn't have damage. Um, there are trees down in, in every yard. Um, I heard a, a number recently that there are probably about 200,000 homes in the area that will need a new roof. And I'm pretty sure that, I don't, I don't see how there would be any house that doesn't end up needing a new roof. Um, and that's just, you know, when the, the wind is over 150 miles an hour for hours. Uh, that's the kind of destruction that it did. And um, many people listening probably have, have heard that description that it looks like a bomb went off. And I've never been to a place where I've actually seen a bomb go off, you know, the destruction. But from what you might see on TV, in the news or movies, that's, that's really what it's like. I mean, there are trees down everywhere. So everything, there's so much brown because of so many limbs being everywhere. And then there are so many places that a tree fell through the roof or a whole roof was blown off. And so you really can't look down the street and not see brown, not see a home or a business wide open. And that just, it's really, um, it's really staggering to drive around the community. And, not, and that's in Lake Charles, but Sulphur, Westlake, um, DeRitter, um, Thorovard Parish has the same kind of damage. And then also um, Cameron Parish is just, you know, really, really devastated. So, Sarah, um, this, this past week marked the 15th anniversary of Hurricane Rita. Um, can you talk about the differences between those two storms, um, both Good and bad. Well, I would say one one of them is that um, for Rita, because it was on the heels by just a few weeks of Hurricane Katrina, um, many more people evacuated for Rita. Um, 
almost everybody. Um, and for Laura, um, we did not realize, you know, I mean, it, it sped up, I think, so quickly toward the, the end that more people stayed. And I think that puts a different spin on it from a couple of different ways. And this is just me talking as a layperson, of course. Um, but I think that more people stayed this time and experienced the storm. And I've had several friends and colleagues tell me they would not do that again. <laughs> so um, to to be in um, in your home uh, and hear that, you know, tornado kind of noise going on for hours on end. I think that was something a lot of people didn't anticipate how bad and, you know, how scary that would be. Um, but I do know that some people felt like that was a good uh, a good move because they maybe had windows blow out or those kind of things that they were able to quickly repair and hopefully uh, mitigate some of the damage that they would have had from from water if they wouldn't have been able to do that. So I think there, you know, there were just differences of how people approached it on the evacuation piece. Um, one of the things that the um, the uh, community leaders, our elected officials, uh, did was they did allow people to come back. Um, after Hurricane Laura more quickly. For Rita, they thought that the better strategy was to have people stay away until some, you know, power lines were, um, you know, removed and, and some debris was out so you could more easily travel around. Um, this time they took a different approach. And, um, and I think it, it did allow for a number of people to get back and to feel comfortable that they were able to, you know, maybe get wet things out or repair those windows or, started, you know, getting um, getting a handle on their debris removal from their trees and their yards. Um, so I think, you know, from a just taking care of your home or your business, um, I think that approach, it seems like that has worked well. Um, I know that many people have experienced, though, like kind of one of those byproducts is that Interstate 10 um, all the way to New Orleans and to Houston was really jam-packed for many days, early mornings and early evenings, because so many people were going in to help as well as so many people that were um, living somewhere else temporarily and were going in to work on their home or business in the day and then returning to, you know, Lafayette or New Iberia or Baton Rouge and some people even the New Orleans area. Um, so, so there was a lot of people going back and forth and there still are. I think a number of people are still in that kind of situation. Yeah, certainly created a commute for some people. And, you know, just thinking about it, 15 years is, is just long enough for people really to, to probably start to recover and still remember a little bit. But you have this whole new generation of folks that are maybe new homeowners um, that were maybe younger when, when Rita came through. And um, also, uh, you know, Wendell Curall, who's in charge of the Levy District and in our part of the world, he always says that, you know, no, no two storms are ever alike. You, you know, you've been through one storm, you've been through that storm. You don't know what the, what the next storm is, is going to look at. So. Yeah. And um, I, I think for, for us, you know, that the wind and the high speed and the duration of it um, was was a much stronger impact than Rita. And so home, I, I, it is my appreciation that we have many more homes and other structures in need of the blue tarps. Um, for Rita, we had lots of blue tarps and, and that became kind of, you know, kind of a, a joke, if you will, later um, where, you know, there were just things related to blue tarps and like at Mardi Gras the next year, people did fun things as costumes with blue tarps because we had lived with that for the whole fall that year. Um, 
but this time it's even more. Um, so many homes have um, the blue tarps and or still need them. Um, that's one of the things that's still happening. So I also um, heard a report from uh, uh, Ricky Self, our port director, on the news a couple of days ago, talking about the, the vast um, devastation at the port and how much more significant that was than Hurricane Rita. The dollar figure is just staggering of, you know, the, the needs that they had to repair after Rita and then what they are today. Um, so I think the impact was was indeed a lot greater. I um a little factoid. I was in leadership Louisiana with Ricky Self. So um, I'm, I'm going to have to reach out to him and yes. um, I'm glad to hear that he's doing okay considering. Yes. So he's, yeah, he's he's um he's in the, the right place at the right time, I think. He Bill raised the uh, the the port director for many years who just retired is probably thinking, oh, I. <laughs> but I, I, too, am a leadership Louisiana alum. Ah, that was a, a fabulous program. So I'm glad to hear you did that, too. Yeah, we did. It. We actually. Um... Oh gosh, we did it maybe one one year we were thwarted because of hurricanes. It might have been um might have been Isaac that year, but but we had to skip Shreveport of all things, but um but that's a that's a digression. So um I'll turn it over to Jacques. I think he wants to talk a little bit more about, you know, how folks can still help and what what more we can do for your area. Absolutely. Thanks, Simone. So um Sarah, I mean a month later, you know, what are some of the needs of the people um, on the ground in Southwest Louisiana right now? Uh, some of those needs are still very basic. Um, many of those people, those 16,000-ish people that are still living away, um, either they live in rental property and the landlord is attempting to take care of that property or they may just not have the resources to get back home or to tackle getting the blue roof on, getting a tree off their roof, whatever, you know, those uh, those needs may be. And so there are a number of national volunteer groups that are on the ground and have been since that first weekend. We've got Samaritan's Purse and um, Eight Days of Hope and... Um, Goodness, the Southern Baptist uh, Relief Team, so many different organizations are helping there. Love Acadiana is one that's working uh, out of the Jennings area to support the, the rest of the region. So people who are willing to volunteer to come in, even if they can spend a morning or an afternoon, or if it's somebody that's uh, that's listening from other parts of the country and wants to come in for a week or something, we have those those structures in place to be able to plug in people to come help because those folks that I mentioned that haven't yet gotten the debris out of their yard. And, and when I'm saying debris, think giant oak trees or pine trees that are completely uprooted out of the ground and they might be leaning on a house. They may not have gone all the way through, but they might be in a very precarious situation. They might be across a driveway, which is how my mother's house was, so that you couldn't physically access the house um, because of where the tree is. So people coming in to help uh, get everybody to be able to at least be accessible to their home is is a tremendous need. And even though some parts of uh, the community of Southwest Louisiana, some some homes and neighborhoods are already uh, on their way to getting repaired. Some people already have companies putting new roofs on their home, but there are plenty of other people that don't have the 
um, either the financial resources or just the capability. They might be elderly. Um, they might still be living in the home and just not even understand how to access help. So the more people we can have plugging into these volunteer structures, the better we can help those folks. Um, and of course, then we're also, you know, have our, our uh, local city and parish officials working with FEMA um, to get temporary housing available for people. But what volunteers can do is really go in and, and help with that debris removal and then with that next process of what's called mucking and gutting, which I know people in many communities, including the Baton Rouge area after the 2016 floods, know about mucking and gutting. Um, but those are things that even unskilled volunteers can be taught to do uh, under, you know, one of these uh, volunteer teams. So that's a big piece. And of course, donating money, we can always help those help that to support these organizations that are getting the work done. Absolutely. And I think, you know, unfortunately, so many places across Louisiana are probably familiar with, um, you know, mucking and gutting, certainly our region after Hurricane Katrina. And it's such a, an important um, highlight that, you know, physical labor and volunteer volunteers are, are so desperately needed after these disasters. I think you were right to point out, you know, um, not everyone has the resources to be able to do this work in terms of clearing massive trees and debris, um, or, you know, not everyone is a, either able-bodied or if they're elderly or infirmed, um, that physical labor can be incredibly taxing. So um, do you have a good spot people can go to, um, if they are interested in volunteering or looking for um, these volunteer opportunities? Uh, yes, I visited earlier with uh, the director for our area for the Samaritan's Purse, and I have seen them in action as well in Lake Charles, and also they're in DeRitter. And I know they helped a lot uh, in the Baton Rouge area after the, the floods of 2016. Um, and their website is spvolunteer.org. So SP for Samaritan's Purse, volunteer.org. And then there's a local phone number if people want to call that uh, for more information or to schedule a time to go volunteer. And that is area code 337-930-2693. And a wonderful story that just really hit home with me is that when the, the director from Samaritan's Purse talked to me and he said, the person that's now answering that phone is a lady from Lake Charles whose home was destroyed. She has been um, generously offered a place to stay from some different people in town and kind of moving around every few days. And I think she's now able to be living with a, a family member. But this lady, ever since a few days after the storm, has been volunteering at the home base of Samaritan's Purse to answer this phone and help take in requests and also to help match volunteers with the team to go out and serve on. So just incredible to know that, you know, somebody that's that's really uh, been impacted so greatly that she doesn't have her own home to live in and has all that to, to do. She's really, um, you know, giving giving back to her whole area by uh, by serving in that volunteer role and answering the phone. So if people call that number, um, 337-930-2693, they are likely to get Miss Terry and she will help plug them into where they could best volunteer. Wow. that I mean, that is incredible. And I can't imagine the the strength, um, you know, to to have that experience, have, have lost your home in that way and then still be willing so quickly 
um, to, to work, to give back to others and help others in your community. So our, our thoughts are certainly with Miss Terry and everyone mm-hmm. that's doing work to, to help the people of Southwest Louisiana right now um, and, and hope for you know, a speedy recovery. I do want to talk a little bit about the work that the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana is doing in ways that um, we all can support you in, that, in those efforts. So can you tell us a little bit about how the foundation has been working to respond since Laura? Um, yes. Yeah, so we, again, with our partnership with the Baton Rouge Area Foundation and the North Shore Foundation, um, we have physically been uh, in Baton Rouge and were able to open a hurricane relief and recovery fund the day before the storm. And when we sent out that press release, it was amazing that I started getting phone calls that night. So as the storm was about to make landfall, uh, some different corporate partners, AT&T being the very first one I think that I received, uh, started calling to say, we want to be a part of this. And so what, what I love about the work of a community foundation is that we give everybody the chance to be able to be apart. And so we opened the fund. We had many corporate contributions, um, but we also had a, a letter in the mail one day that came really quickly after the storm, and it was postmarked from the state of New York. And in it was a piece of a torn off brown paper lunch bag, I think, and wrapped in it was three single dollar bills. And they wrote on the brown paper, Hurricane Laura Relief. So that that person that sent what was probably their, you know, money for lunch that day or something, um, obviously was very meaningful for them. And we've also had um, amazing contributions from the Walmart Foundation and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Louisiana each gave a million dollars. So all the way from the $3 from that person to a million dollars from large corporate foundations and everything in between. People from last check, we had 48 states represented and several other countries. Um, We've had almost 3,000 individual people give money at all different levels. Um, from, again, all over the country and and even other parts of the world. And so um, quickly in those first three weeks, we raised over $5 million. Um, And I say raised, really, we received it. Really, people were so generous and gave things, you know, amounts that were meaningful to them, to the fund. We then do the work of working with nonprofits. So groups that we work with as a community foundation all year long in various ways, like the Salvation Army and uh, the Red Cross and groups like Southern Baptist Relief. We worked with them after Harvey, and so they jumped in quickly and said, here's how we can help. So uh, Catholic Charities has been amazing, and the Catholic Charities of Acadiana is working very closely with ours in Southwest Louisiana to help build their capacity. And so they're doing, you know, distribution as well as a a laundry trailer, a new partnership with United Way and Catholic Charities is giving people the chance to go and do their laundry. Um, So all those kind of things are fun. Um, As we have received such generous contributions, we then have now made over, uh, I think about a million and a half in grants back out to those organizations. Um, So we really want to be able to have, you know, the person who gave three dollars to be able to combine that with some other generous contributions and then put it back into the community as quickly as possible to provide that relief. And now we're working toward the longer term recovery piece. 
That's really, you know, amazing to hear that, you know, you've had everyone from, you know, an individual who's able to give what they can all the way from New York, send you um, a donation to, you know, organizations like large corporations and foundations at the national level. And I think, you know, sometimes we can feel like, oh, you know, the media has moved on, you know, to another story. They maybe have forgotten about the region or Southwest Louisiana, but it's great to see that people are still contributing and helping in whatever way they can. So if folks do want to help the, the people of Southwest Louisiana and contribute to the fund, which will go to help, um, you know, these communities, uh, where on their, where can they go to support the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana? So uh, the easiest way to do that is go to helpswla.org. So help for Southwest Louisiana, help SWLA.org. And that will um, take you right to the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana website and the, uh, and the link to be able to give. And um, if anybody, you know, has questions or wants to, to follow us more, um, our Facebook page is a great way to do that as well. And uh, we are continuing to tell the stories of those nonprofits that are on the ground making an impact, especially those that, that we are granting money to. Um, and so we, we would love for people around the country and even other parts of the world to be following the good work that these organizations and through many volunteers and many donations that they're making happen to, to bring back Southwest Louisiana. Um, I want to give a, a kind of an interesting example, too, of an, another grant that we made that really relates to, to the work that you all and your listeners do. And that is um, we were able to make a grant of $60,000 a couple of weeks ago uh, to the Iberia Development Foundation. And they are working with several of these shrimpers from Cameron Parish who, uh, who their boats um, had been brought to Safe Harbor. And I say that in air quotes, um, Safe Harbor at the Port of Lake Charles. And unfortunately, they sunk. And, um, and the Port of Lake Charles helped to, to get them out of the water, but several of them um, were not able to be repaired. But some of them, we believe, are able to be repaired. And so the grant that we made from our Hurricane Relief Fund uh, to the Iberia Development Foundation is helping those boats be repaired so that those shrimpers can get back to business. And we know how what an important role they play, not only for Louisiana, but for the country in providing um, wonderful seafood. And so we, we want to help Cameron Parish and those residents get back to business and do what we, you know, one of those things we do well from Louisiana, providing the seafood. And so that was a, a unique way that we were able to grant from our fund. So so those people all over the, the country that have contributed can know that it's going to nonprofit organizations that do all sorts of relief work and, and aiding those shrimpers is one of those ways. You know, that's that's um, great to hear that you're able to support, you know, those those individuals in that way. I mean, people don't often think about it, but that that's someone's business. Right. And, and you know, how are they able to get back to work and get back to you know, doing their job and providing for their family, but also providing for all of us with delicious seafood and, and kind of, um, you know, the, the bounty that Louisiana is known for. And we had a guest on last week's show, um, Chef Sheremy with Nichols State University, talking about Louisiana's bounty and the seafood that it provides. But it's a really great reminder that times like these, you know, our, our fishermen, um, fisher folk are often, you know, impacted on top of everything. So that that is a great example. 
Um, I do want to ask Sarah, so, you know, a lot of times when these disasters happen, um, you know, they're, they're so devastating, um, but at the same time, you know, they don't necessarily define a region or they don't define a community, right? And we've had um, friends from Southwest Louisiana on the show before, Lori Cormier and Claire Hebert or Mar- Marceau, and they both spoke with an extreme passion about their love of Southwest Louisiana and, and what the region means to them. Uh, you're you're from the the region, so I want you to uh, I want to ask you, you know, about about what Southwest Louisiana means to you, and to kind of help define it for our listeners beyond you know any one disaster. Oh yeah, that that really just makes me smile to think about that. And Laurie and Claire are both friends of mine and have done lots of different community work. And Claire actually serves on our board for the Community Foundation, and uh, and does such great work in in connecting us to uh, to things that are relevant for Cameron Parish. And when when I think Southwest Louisiana, um, it really does just make me smile. And in, in fact, um, what I put in my computer or made be my computer bag for my evacuation is a bag that I received from our Convention and Visitors Bureau when they rebranded about a year ago. And their, their name now is Visit Lake Charles. So I am walking all around Baton Rouge while I've been working here um, with my tote bag that says Visit Lake Charles on it. Um, so that ho- hopefully shows uh, how much uh, I love and appreciate my area. Um, I think hardworking, teamwork, uh, resiliency, love of the outdoors, um, all of those things come together uh, when I think about Southwest Louisiana. And um, as Simone was referencing earlier about Hurricane Rita, um, we had a lot of silver linings after Hurricane Rita because people worked together and and really said, this is a team effort and we want to build back and we want to be better than ever. And so I, I really anticipate that we will make that happen again. And we're already seeing people come together and some unique collaborations and, and ways to leverage our resources and work together to, to come back even stronger. So I, I think those are the kind of things I think about when I think of, of my area of Southwest Louisiana. Well, that's a great description. And I think, you know, we all want to be there to help support you all both in this time of recovery. But, you know, once you're back open and, and ready to have visitors and, you know, support you in that way. So one more time, Sarah, where can people go to, to support the people in Southwest Louisiana right now? Um, and if you could share the website for the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana, where they could go and donate. Sure. So uh, the easy way is help swla.org and our that will take you to our website our actual um, link is community foundation oh sorry foundation swla.org well thank you so much oh go ahead oh i was gonna say and of course on facebook too uh is an easy way to be able to follow those stories and we'll continue to share all the the people and organizations that are doing good work and we look forward to having people not only uh, hopefully donate what they can and what's meaningful for them, but if they have the chance to actually come do some hands-on work, we would love to, to get to meet them and, and have them help be a part of recovering in Southwest Louisiana. Well, thank you so much for being on. We know how busy you are and how hectic this time must be. So we really appreciate your time and your willingness to share with our listeners how they can help um, and, and really highlighting the ongoing needs of the people 
of Southwest Louisiana. Before we let you go, we do have a tradition on Delta Dispatches. We like to ask our guests a fun question just to get to know them a little bit better. Um, so, you know, we were talking about it earlier in the show. The temperatures have cooled down a little bit. And we have a very, even though we focus on the coast, we have a very food-centric show. <laughs> so um, as soon as it gets cooler, I, my mind are, immediately goes to food. And I start thinking about all the foods I now want to eat now that it's actually uh, cool enough to to have hot foods and, and soups and stuff. So um, what is your go-to fall food or fall recipe that you're most looking forward to enjoying as we, you know, approach cooler temperatures? Um, well, I think what's on my mind, because my daughter who uh, goes to college at McGill University in Montreal, she sent a picture last night that she made uh, red beans and rice for her roommates last night. It's Monday. It was Monday. So <laughs> good for her. <laughs> and we, she grew up listening to Johnette Downing, who's a children's singer from uh, New Orleans, and that's one of her uh, her songs. Uh, is about red beans on Monday. So uh, anyway, that I think that's on my mind for when I'm back in my home in the next few days. Uh, I think red beans and rice will be on the menu. Sounds perfect. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Um, and great to see she's continuing the traditions and sharing them uh, with folks in Montreal. I thought you were going to say poutine for a second because I know oh. <laughs> people in, in, in Quebec and Montreal love love their poutine. Good for you. We we have we have tried it at a few places in in Montreal so far. But I think I think the Cajun food is still her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, and you know, best of luck to you um, in the coming months and year. We know it's going to be a busy road to recovery for the people of Southwest Louisiana. But thanks to the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana for all that you're doing to help the region recover. Um, and please, you know, stay in touch if there are things that you need in the coming months or years or things that you want to flag to our, our listeners. You're always welcome to come back on Delta, Delta Dispatches. Well, thank you. And just a, a big thank you to what, what you all do personally and with your organizations. And I know so many of your listeners that make such an impact on, on things like, um, you know, work, working on the coastal erosion, which is, is obviously such, such a staggering kind of issue. Uh, to think about, but you all do that good work every day. So thank you all. I enjoyed being with you. Well, you're you're very welcome and thank you. Um, we'll be right back after this break. We're going to have another guest, uh, Corey Miller with the Coalition Restore Coastal Louisiana to share with us his perspectives of going out to Southwest Louisiana, doing some volunteering and helping um, with the communities and, and ongoing relief. So we'll be right back with Corey after the break. Hello, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're back and it is time for the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, this week's Coastal Voice is from Beverly in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Beverly says, we are seeing much more flooding in communities that never flooded before when the storms come, simply because the land that used to exist between us and the Gulf of Mexico is gone. It used to keep the storm surge back. Now there is nothing there to stop it. Louisiana has been ebbing away every year since I moved here in 1976. Louisiana is literally washing away and we need to get the barriers built back out to where they used to be. And that is from Beverly in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I think it's a very relevant voice this this week. And I hope Beverly and her family are doing well 
Um, as a reminder, you can go to mississippiriverdelta.org slash restore the coast and share your voice on why coastal restoration is so important. So I'll hand it over to you, Simone. Yeah, uh, I want to echo that sentiment. I hope Everly and, and Lake Charles is is doing okay. Um, I have the coastal stat of the week and follow up on our conversation uh, we had previously. The Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana is responding big and responding fast. They've raised more than $5.5 million from individuals and companies in the weeks following Hurricane Laura. Fundraising continues because recovery is expected to take months and federal relief takes time to reach people and nonprofits. From contributions to its Hurricane Relief and Recovery Fund, the foundation has issued grants totaling 1,445,000 as of Friday, September 18th, 2020. I really enjoyed that conversation with Sarah and looking forward to talking to our next guest as well. Yeah, welcome to Delta Dispatches, Corey Miller with the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana. Corey is the Director of Community Resilience. Um, so Corey, how are you doing? How have things been going for you? I know it's like we ask everyone, uh, uncertain times, but we wanted to check in, see how, how you're holding up. Well, uh, definitely uncertain times. And it's been uh, uh, quite a wild, wild year and ride so far in 2020. Um, but uh, all things considered, I'd say that I'm, I'm holding up pretty, pretty well. Um, I have a lot of uh, friends that are in the, the service industry and, and they've taken a, a pretty big hit. Uh, with restaurants and and festivals and things like that being shut down, but one of the silver linings to that is um, I got a whole whole lot of uh, new fishing buddies and have been spending uh, my fair share of time socially distanced on the the bow of a boat catching redfish over the course of the summer and and beyond. So um, trying to find ways to just just cope and and stay sane. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure you know taking your buddies out too. They appreciate that as well. So. Um, I wanted to check in with you. I mean, I know right after Hurricane Laura passed, you and, and Kelly Messer, who's also with the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, sprung into action. You organized a relief drive with our organizations and others and helped deliver several runs of, of supplies to people um, in southwest Louisiana. So, so first, thank you so much for doing that so quickly. Um, tell us a little bit about what you all brought out there and, and where you where you delivered it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it it kind of happened organically, um, and no um, credit just to myself. It was it was very much collaborative and team effort. But um, on Saturday morning of the the twenty ninth, um, Kelly Messer and I were uh, participating in a Katrina fifteen commemorative, and uh, it kicked off with uh, someone giving their kind of account their account of what they had seen. It, with Hurricane Laura in the Lake Charles, Cameron, Calcasieu area. Um, and coincidentally, at the same time, one of my friends um, sent a text and said, what are we doing? What's going on? How do we help? Let's let's make a run. And uh, it just it just kind of organically came to life. Um, I quickly posted on Facebook. I reached out to all of my colleagues um, with the MRD, with CRCL and, and others, and family and friends rallied very, very quickly chipping in support, um, dropping off supplies at my house at the office and donating uh, close to about $1,500 that we were able to load up the the back of a, a full-size pickup truck and a trailer and um, make our way out to Cameron Parish. Um, we brought some gasoline, tarps, uh, 
about a, a case and a half or a, a flat and a half, if you would, of water. That was an, an interesting experience going to Sam's and having them load a whole uh, pallet of water in the back of the pickup truck with a, a forklift. Um, I can say I've, I've scratched that off the list. Um, but but it was um, it came together very organically, very quickly. Uh, and we kind of just reached out to some of our contacts on the ground to see what was the most immediate pressing needs. Um, and we were able to also deliver about 120 hot meals as well, which was very, very well received. Corey, so you traveled out there. What was your assessment? What did you expect to find? And what did you um, what did you actually find? So I'm born and raised Southeast Louisiana. I've um, seen my fair share of flood events and specifically hurricanes. And, and I was expecting to see a lot more water damage, um, a lot more flooding and debris. Um, and in fact, what, what I observed was something I've never really seen before. Um, the, the, the vast devastation that occurred from the, the winds. Um, there were telephone poles and trees that halfway up were literally just snapped in half. Um, before you got off of interstate, before you even got into, uh, Lake Charles area, you saw, billboards and barns and and sheds and roofs just completely tattered across the fields. Um, And we weren't even able to make it all the way down to the beach on that first trip. Um, We weren't able to make it quite to the coast because the main road going down to Cameron um, had washed out in several areas. Um, And and it was just complete, complete devastation of, of the, the utilities the, the power lines, um, and there were a few houses that remained um, intact uh, without any damage to them. Yeah, it's always, whenever I see pictures, it's always a little overwhelming to think, where, where do you even start? And, you know, talking to Sarah in the first segment, you start with one branch, you start with one tree, you start there, right? Corey, tell us, um, you, you know, you got to feed the people, you got to interact. You know, how are their spirits? Is it, um, do you feel it's, um, defeated or resilient, you know, what's, how are the folks feeling out there? It it is a a little bit of a a defeated, um, sentiment, I would say, um, you know, having gone through this just 15 years before that, um, and, and having had another hurricane between the two, there are some people that, that are questioning what does life look like? Uh, how do we rebuild? How do we make sure that, uh, we don't set ourselves up in as a community into the future to continue to succumb to these things. Uh, and if if we do decide to continue to persist down there, um, h- how do we do so in a, in a smarter uh, fashion? Um, there, it's going to be a very long road ahead, I would say, of of recovery and rebuilding. Um, but it's strong people. The people down there are are what makes it worth all the time and effort to, to try to, to get out there and help and just do whatever little part you can. So Corey, what are, what are some ongoing needs? What, um, you know, you made a second trip out there. Was that because there were different needs that you realized and, and are the needs even different today? So, uh, between the first trip and the second trip, um, the, it seemed like the, the community, the residents were able to get further and further south. Um, it, it literally it took a little while just to, to make it sure that the roads were passable and safe to get all the way down to the coast um, in, in Cameron. And, and so as the community and, and as resident, 
residents have been able to get further south to the to their homes, they're also getting to areas that have uh, succumbed to much more devastation than than some of the communities a little bit further north. Um, there's still a lot of basic needs, basic services. Uh, the last we checked when we were down, there was only one operating gas station in all of Cameron Parish. Um, the electric grid was still out, albeit they were aggressively putting up new telephone poles and, and running new new wires and new systems, but um, they need gasoline, um, water, hot meals, storage. People are trying to piece back together their lives and, and trying to uh, be able to salvage whatever they can, but in most cases, they don't have a shed or a garage or or even an intact roof over their home to be able to to uh, dry, you know, safely store anything that that they're either bringing down there new or able to salvage. Um, and then I think a little bit longer term, there's going to be a need for some some temporary housing. Um, it is quite a commute to have to to you know, in many instances, people are are staying with family and and relatives in in Lafayette. Um, and making that, you know, almost two hour drive all the way down to Cameron and to the coast. Um, so, so there's still a, a pressing need for kind of basic services, basic, um, non-perishable foods. Um, but I, as we see with these things, that's going to start to shift and, it, and it's something that you just need to, to be tracking and, and trying to be meeting the, the most pressing need at, at the time. Yeah, marathon, right? Marathon, not a sprint for sure. And, and their needs change. And even though it's out of the, the media spotlight, we need to still remember um, what our our neighbors out to the to the West need. So you participated in, in something called Feed the Fleet. Um, tell us about that. What was that? Yeah, so the, the town of Cameron um, in Cameron Parish is very much a kind of a coastal rural uh, fishing community. And um, uh, many of the families who are dependent on commercial harvest of fisheries, they got the the one-two punch, the double whammy of uh, not only not having a home to go back to, but many cases having their their commercial fishing vessel, their shrimp boat, their oyster boat um, sunk and not even repairable in in a lot of cases. And so uh, when you don't have a place to go back to work or a home to stay in, you're kind of double devastated. And, and so uh, through, through an effort that was um, stood up by Claire Marceau, who's with the, the port down in Cameron, um, and then a former board member, actually, of CRCL, Polly Glover, um, coordinated uh, some, some hot meals, uh, a little celebrity chef action down there, some oysters on the half shell. Um, and it was as much an effort to feed the people as it was to, to nourish their souls. And we had a gathering of about uh, over 100 commercial fisher men, women, families that uh, came out that were able to get some supplies that we brought down as well. Um, but get a hot meal and, and kind of have a little moment, a little reprieve from the, the, the devastation uh, to come together and just celebrate over, um, you know, a warm, a warm meal. Um, and, and that was, I, I think very well received, um, very much needed. And, and I, I think we're going to, you know, continue to look to opportunities that we could try to support the, the community down there in a similar fashion. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, right. That, um, a lot of times people don't think about, uh, you know, just having a hot meal, um, at a time like this is so important and goes such a long way. So, 
We heard from um, Sarah about the need for volunteers to help with people clearing debris, clearing materials, certainly gutting um, homes, um, as well as the need for ongoing financial support and donations. So Corey, after being down there, I mean, what would you encourage people to do, you know, if they're looking to help um, the folks of Southwest Louisiana right now? Um, so, you know, we defer in to, to the, the local lead on these things. Um, nobody knows what's needed best and is in a position to, to better coordinate resources, donations, volunteers, uh, than the people that are there on the ground that understand um, the networks, the, the needs and the relationships. So um, we, we would direct people to, if they want to donate, um, go to helpswla.org, help southwestlouisiana.org. Um, if you're able to, to make a financial contribution, um, it's pretty, been pretty impressive listening earlier uh, to Sarah and the amount of money that they've been able to fundraise, uh, but it's definitely not met the need by any means. Um, and then uh, again, going back to her lead, um, there's a, a group called Samaritan's Purse. Uh, and you can go to SamaritansPurse.org if you're looking to, to volunteer and, and put in a little sweat equity um, and, and they're helping to coordinate those. And there's a, a list of uh, different local community numbers that you can get on the ground uh, contacts to, to best connect you for volunteerism. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Corey, to you, Kelly, and others who have, you know, jumped in so quickly to help the people of Southwest Louisiana. Um, and I know you'll keep us posted. Um, shifting gears a little bit uh, in terms of what's going on at Coalition North Shore Coast Louisiana. So anything that's coming up uh, the rest of the year or even looking into next year um, that you want to highlight in terms of what's going on at Coalition North Shore Coast Louisiana? Uh, I mean, you know, we've we've been uh, rolling with the punches, so to speak, uh, through through these times. And uh, we've shifted a lot of our, our outreach and engagement work. Um, you know, one of the big roles that our organization plays is uh, making sure that the average citizen of coastal Louisiana is aware of our challenges with land loss, what that means for increased risk of flooding, uh, and the ways that, that, that any resident stakeholder can engage in those plans um, for restoration and for, for flood risk reduction. So we've had to turn a lot of our efforts to um, uh, remote engagement, as we've been calling it. So making a lot of uh, webinars, different uh, virtual tours, videos, and, and things of that nature. You could find a lot of those resources uh, either on our Facebook page or our website directly. Um, looking forward, um, we're operating under the presumed uh, continuance of, of needing to do a lot of things remotely. Um, we are finalizing some plans for our State of the Coast conference, which will occur now in 2021. Uh, it was set to occur in 2020. Um, and we're continuing to, to engage with college students through our student ambassador program, which um, allows us to recruit a handful of students from uh, different universities across the coast. Um, it helps us to expand our network and capacity a little bit, but then also gives students a little bit more of a, a kind of peek behind the, the curtain of a nonprofit that's working on these issues and in, in, in this space. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just um, keeping our heads up and doing what we can to, to try to continue meeting our mission, meeting our, our core functions as an organization, given everything. Awesome. Well, certainly you all are not, um, you know, uh, you're staying busy, uh, of course, even in these kind of different and, and at sometimes virtual 
times. And I have to uh, say, you know, I've seen some of the videos and virtual tours that you all have put out recently, and they're, they're really informative and beautiful, beautifully done. So please go to crcl.org to, you know, learn more about the Coalition North Shore Coast of Louisiana, um, find ways to get involved and support them. So thank you so much, Corey, for um, again, all the work you're doing for helping the people of Southwest Louisiana directly and also helping us understand some of these ongoing needs and ways that we can support them. Um, so I guess we'll end with a fun question. Um, since you've been spending a lot of time um, out on a boat fishing, um, what is the best thing that you've either caught or cooked with, you know, during that time um, of, of fishing? So I've been uh, exploring a, a, a few new recipes with cooking um, redfish whole. So basically you just gut the redfish and, and take that sucker, season it up and throw it on the grill completely whole. Um, and it has been coming out quite delicious lately. But we've been trying to cook redfish as many different ways as we possibly can, can find under the sun from um, ceviche to cuvion uh, to... Um, on the half shell, blackened, you name it. So I, I don't know if I, I could gun to my head. I'm not sure if I have a a, a, a leading favorite, but uh, fresh fish in any form. Well, well Jock and I are going to need to try them all just to just <laughs> be your tiebreaker. I, I realize that that would be a difficult decision for you, Corey. So let Jock and I help you make that decision. Absolutely. And I, I do want to just thank uh, all of y'all for for everything that you do to keep these um, issues relevant and and highlighting the ongoing needs out in Southwest, um, and for your direct support as well in, in in getting supplies out there. So much appreciated. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Corey, and and let us know. Stay in touch. Don't be a stranger on the show. Um, we're always happy to talk about what you have going on or what's going on with the Coalition North Shore Coastal Louisiana. So. Um, huge thanks again to both Corey and Sarah for helping to elevate the ongoing needs of the people of Southwest Louisiana as they begin their long road to recovery. Um, please, you know, go to the URL um, that Sarah shared, and we'll be sure to share it on the link to this episode. You can also go to MississippiRiverDelta.org slash Laura Relief um, to, to learn more about organizations doing work in the community there. And it includes uh, the Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana. So um, again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week on Delta Dispatches. See you later, alligators. Alligators.